Welcome friends, James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com. Today is the 25th of February, 2014, and as I come to you today, events are still ongoing and unfolding in Ukraine, where we have seen some pretty earth-shaking events happening over the past few weeks, as I'm sure all of you will know by now. And just to, uh, I, I suppose, fans of American poetry might liken the situation to Wallace Stevens' 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. We have lots of different perspectives on what's happening in Ukraine right now. For example, National Security Advisor Susan Susan Rice has just come out to say that what has happened in Kiev reflects the will of the Ukrainian people and the interests of the United States and Europe, and that Russia would be making a grave mistake if it sends in military forces to try to reverse the developments. We have Russian Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev saying that he has grave doubts about the legitimacy of those in power in Ukraine following the ouster of President Yanukovych, saying their recognition by some states was an aberration. We have uh, the former interior, or, sorry, the current acting interior minister, Arsen Avakov saying a criminal case has been launched over the mass murder of peaceful civilians. Yanukovych and a number of other officials have been put on a wanted list. We have leaders of Oplot, one of the uh, protest groups that has been uh, responsible for the overthrow of Yanukovych, now coming out and saying, we can break protesters' legs. No one will punish us. The law is on our side. Uh, we have the Council on Foreign Relations via their mouthpiece, foreignaffairs.com coming out today to say no one wins in Ukraine. We have lots of different perspectives, but today we're going to share a different one with you. We're going to be talking to Paul Craig Roberts, of course, of paulcraigroberts.org, and someone who's been a guest on The Corbett Report many times in the past, so I'm sure he needs no introduction to our regular listeners. Paul, thank you very much for your time today, and let's just get right into this by getting your own take on what we've seen t taking place in Ukraine over the past few weeks. <laughs> Well, uh, an extraordinary mistake by the United States, of course. Uh, <clears throat> for some time, uh, Washington has been uh, working <clears throat> against uh, Russia with uh, Western-financed NGOs. Uh, they used them in Georgia. They used them previously in Ukraine when they tried to pull off the Orange Revolution. I think that was 2004, 10 years ago. And they used them in Russia itself. Uh, and these uh, organizations are essentially American fifth columns, but they operate under the cloak of human rights or, or education or teaching democracy or, or some, something of the sort. And the, uh, the United States uh, uh, saw in the uh, uh, Yankee, uh, in the, in the Ukraine, <coughs> sorry, in the Ukrainian government's rejection of EU membership an opportunity to set in motion uh, protests because the United States wants Ukraine in the EU because that means essentially NATO, and then they can put uh, American military and missile bases on Russia's border in Ukraine. And that's what this is really all about. Uh, but what, uh, what the people in Washington uh, overlooked were the uh, hardline right-wing elements in Western Ukraine, whose roots go back uh, to, uh, to the Nazis. You have to remember that uh, uh, many in the Western Ukraine fought for Adolf Hitler against the Soviet Union. And, and uh, so these elements now apparently are the only organized force in Kiev, uh, the, the government is pretending to be a government, but it's already behaved in every possible illegitimate and undemocratic way. Uh, you know, the, the president in, in the Ukraine is democratically elected. And 
So uh, when they simply uh, read him out of office, <laughs> issue arrest warrants uh, for his government, uh, <clears throat> uh, release criminals uh, from prison and a whole variety of activities, they've simply destroyed democracy. So now if the right wing is in power, it can take advantage of all these precedents and use them against this very weak and unorganized opposition. So when you, when you see these, um, these right-wing elements, uh, they speak as if they are in control. Uh, they declare that uh, now that the government's overthrown, uh, the, the people continue <laughs> uh, protesting and looting and so on, that they're going to shoot them on the spot. And uh, they've announced that they, uh, their candidate, will be the next president of Ukraine. So what is the United States going to do about these people? Uh, what is the uh, apparently powerless uh, opposition <laughs> going to do about them? Uh, they're the only organized force. Now, the <clears throat> consequence uh, is twofold. One, it alarms uh, the eastern and southern Ukraine. Now, these are uh, <clears throat> traditionally historical parts of Russia. Uh, during the 1950s, uh, Khrushchev uh, stuck them into the Ukraine, I think, in order to water down the Nazi elements in the western Ukraine. I don't remember the reason he did it. Maybe he was just drunk. But um, the, these historical parts of Russia, uh, the uh, Crimea, uh, the Donetsk Basin, uh, Kharkov, the, these were stuck into Ukraine. Well, these people, they speak Russian. They are Russian. <laughs> They're not going to go along with a bunch of nuts in the western part who want to be uh, either an independent right-wing Ukrainian state or in terms of the American paid opposition uh, part of Europe. So they'll split off. That'll, that'll go back to Russia. I don't think anything can be done to prevent that. Uh, certainly the Ukrainian army is not going to go up against the Russian army. And it's, it would be very stupid for the Americans to try it because they just don't have the wherewithal or you know, the supply routes. You can't take on a major power in its own backyard very easily. So it's now uh, in chaos. So I think what you'll increasingly see is an effort on the part of the West, particularly Washington, um, to, to blame the Russians for the disorder. <laughs> and we saw that with Susan Rice recently saying, don't you send in tanks? <laughs> <laughs> and as if the Russians were paying attention <laughs> to that person, they're not going to pay any attention to Susan Rice. So it just shows the arrogance of, of Washington. You know, it's absurd. <laughs> well, I have so, to agree that uh, that it is pretty absurd. And and uh, and if anyone is not going to listen to um, Susan Rice, it's going to be someone like Putin. But you raise the specter of military potential military confrontation with Russia. Do you think Russia is prepared to go to that level um, at this point? No, I don't think so. I think it's uh, working out all in their favor without them having to do anything because, uh, <clears throat> you know, when, when, when Khrushchev stuck big chunks of historical Russian territory into the Ukraine, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. 
no one, they didn't expect the Soviet Union would collapse, that Ukraine would become independent and acquire major parts of Russia <laughs> in the transition. So I'm sure Russia would like to have its territory back. And so if these uh, right-wing extremists that the incompetence and stupidity of Washington have unleashed <laughs> in Western Ukraine, if they prevail, you know, if, if the uh, weak and disorganized opposition essentially can't stand up to them <clears throat> and they prevail, then you, you, in fact, we already see Eastern and Southern Ukraine organizing militias to prevent the infiltration of these uh, right-wing Nazi types. So uh, if there's any kind of conflict or takeover by the right-wing in, in the West, uh, the traditional Russian provinces will simply vote to re-enter the Soviet Union, <laughs> to re-enter Russia. <laughs> so, and so, um, you know, the Russian law is that any former resident of the Soviet Union who wishes to be a Russian member, a Russian citizen, uh, can be one. You know, this was used in South Ossetia when Georgia tried to uh, reconquer the uh, provinces that uh, succeeded from from the Georgian Republic and this will this is what will happen there so I don't think uh, the Russians will intervene in the West it's playing into their hands it shows again the stupidity and incompetence of Washington it will create a lot of uh, dissent between uh, Washington's NATO puppets and Washington because Europe is not really interested to get on Russia's target list <laughs> You know, nuclear weapons are, are dangerous. So you'll, so I think Putin will sit there and let it develop and certainly will not allow any armies into the eastern and southern Ukraine. See, in the south is where their big Black Sea naval base is in the Crimea. Uh, Sevastopol is a Russian city, not a Ukrainian city. But it's now part of Ukraine because of Khrushchev. So I think those elements show that Putin has the upper hand. He really doesn't have to do anything now because it looks like the situation is out of control and don't really see how it's going to get into control. You have to remember now this, this president of Ukraine that was somehow voted by parliament out of office without an election that they now have an arrest warrant for him. They're blaming him for the violence. Well, of course, he didn't arm the right-wing Nazis, <laughs> these people. So, uh, so the, his political party is now under threat, all the members of it. The, the, the right-wing say it has to be exterminated. That's the word they used. So this is going to cause a lot of unrest and dissent, even in the western part of Ukraine, because this man was elected to office. He didn't just come in and grab power, and uh, he's not a dictator. He's actually very weak, as we can see. He didn't uh, use force to put down the protests. So I think all of this confusion, it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, of Russia in 1917. You know, first there was this February Revolution, a bunch of constitutionalists and reformers, and and all the fools did was set the stage for Lenin, the Bolsheviks. 
And I think that's what the United States may have done now in, in Western Ukraine. They've set the stage for this organized, determined, very fierce right-wing group. And who's going to put them down? That is the, the very important question of the moment, and one that you do uh, take a look at in your latest article on paulcraigroberts.org, Democracy Murdered by Protest, Ukraine Falls to Intrigue and Violence, where you do talk about that some of that history and the rise of the, the right sector and the way that we can trace this history back at least as far as World War II and perhaps even further. But let's take a look at more recent history and the way that that plays into this situation, because of course you talk about uh, the, the ouster of Yanukovych, um, and his predecessors, of course, were Viktor Yushchenko and Yulia Tymoshenko, who came to power back in the Orange Revolution back in 2004, which, of course, had its own hallmarks and stamps of Western intervention all over it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how that history plays into the events that just unfolded here. <laughs> well, um, I think, I think uh, it's just uh, another example of where the United States was <clears throat> interfering in the internal affairs of another country. Um, the Americans were, e were able to do that easier then than now because Russia, is, that was 10 years ago, Russia is much stronger and it's much more confident. And <clears throat> the, the Russian uh, security analysts have all stated that um, Ukraine in the EU and NATO is a serious <clears throat> strategic threat to the existence of Russian independence. Um, recently, the Moscow Times uh, quoted uh, Russian officials, they didn't name them, they quoted Russian officials saying that they simply will not allow the West uh, to take Ukraine. So, <clears throat> in other words, we're on the verge of... Uh, of another uh, sleepwalking into a world war. <laughs> and the, the arrogance in Washington, they don't seem to understand you cannot take a serious, direct, strategic threat to another world power and not expect consequences. <laughs> but that's what the fools in Washington are doing. This uh, Susan Rice, she must be insane. This uh, Victoria Newland, she must be insane. They're sitting there playing God. Uh, with the world. Uh, it's, you know, the Ukraine is far more important to Russia than it is the United States and the EU. And the stakes are just so uneven. It's stupid for Washington to think that they can cram this down Russia's throat. It's not, it's not going to happen. And if they persist and they continue, I mean, if they continue with all their lies and the thing gets out of hand, and they blame Russia, uh, they'll have the whole world uh, ready to misinterpret if Russia does have to go in to protect the eastern and southern provinces, which are Russian. <laughs> and, and so they'll lock themselves into a confrontation. If it, it so easily happens, and we have a 100th anniversary this year of World War I, where the fools did the same thing. And now it's repeating in front of everybody's eyes. And I think I'm the only one that's called a notice to this. Uh, so where is the intelligence uh, in the West? I mean, why, the stakes are so out of proportion for the Russians. So, so I think uh, this time it backfired 
by unleashing these right-wing elements. You know, they, the, these right-wingers uh, stormed uh, government armories. They're well-armed with rifles, machine guns, grenades, <laughs> and they seem to have discipline. Uh, they, they seem to be organized. Now, maybe they aren't. Maybe this is just a bunch of bandits or something. I think all that remains to be seen. It's going to play out. Now, if somehow moderates can regain control, and uh, they'll probably realize the stakes, too. And <clears throat> so it'll be less dangerous. But it still has danger, you know, if they, because the Americans will push them with money, right? Well, by Americans, of course, I mean Washington, not Americans. I don't think the Americans have clues to what's going on. <clears throat> but Washington will push the moderates. And it could be that pushing the moderates will end up to the advantage of the right wing. So it's just hard to see what's going to happen. But already, you know, there are lines of Ukrainians uh, taking their money out of banks. Uh, the the uh, food shops are empty. <laughs> so it looks like the Ukrainians are viewing this quite differently than Susan Rice and the Obama idiots. Yes. Another, another way of looking at that blackbird. And it, exactly as you indicate, this is really just a, I mean, th this has developed as a type of proxy war between the, the US, NATO, uh, EU on the west side and, and Russia on the eastern side with Ukra the Ukrainian people really squeezed in the middle like a vice. And, uh, and, and in this type of contest, um, again, as, as you indicate, uh, this is really on Russia's ter territory in their backyard. They ha the stakes for them are much higher than they are for the, the Western interests that are attempting to manipulate the situation. And like a cornered cat or what have you, it's going to fight more viciously before, uh, for being cornered. So I think that it is insane in a certain way to, uh, to put them uh, to, in this position. And it does raise the question of what the, the real strategy is here. And I wonder if we can tie this into a sort of general encirclement of Russia by NATO that's been going on in recent years. And are we entering the end game of that, that struggle? Well, it could be. Um, you know, as, as we all know, that, that by all, I mean those who pay attention to world events, um, Reagan's successors in, as president violated all the agreements that the Reagan administration made <clears throat> with the Soviet Union, with Gorbachev. And they took NATO into Eastern Europe. They put it on Russia's borders. There are now uh, missile bases, American missile bases in Poland, uh, the radar for them in the Czech Republic. Um, the United States has financed so-called color revolutions, which are explicitly attacking former constituent parts of Russia herself, such as Georgia and Ukraine. For 200 years, they were part of Russia. <clears throat> and, and Georgia has fallen to, to the uh, Americans. Now, Georgia is out between the... Uh, the Black and Caspian Seas. It's got nothing to do with, with Western Europe or North Europe. <clears throat> and uh, the Americans are trying to put it in to NATO. Uh, the Europeans are somewhat hesitant because they, they see the situation is dicey <clears throat> because it could get them into a war with Russia. And, of course, their capital cities would be the first that would disappear. So they're not happy about this. So I think these kinds of strains on the 
U.S.-NATO alliance uh, will grow as this same strategy now unfolds in Ukraine. Uh, it has to occur uh, to Germans, for example, that the Russians can't really accept uh, U.S. missile bases uh, on the Russian-Ukrainian border. They're just not going to accept it. And so whether, but you see, when the, when the, when the EU started showing uh, some resistance to Victoria Newland's uh, program for taking over, uh, we know the famous explicative, the, the curse that uh, Newland referred to the EU. In other words, we're not going to pay attention to what our NATO allies want. I mean, we are the indispensable people, the exceptional country. <laughs> so uh, you, you do get very close to provoking uh, a response. Now, I think on the whole that it's not a proxy war. Uh, uh, I don't think Putin will be very anxious to get involved in a war. As I said earlier, I think he'll just sit there <clears throat> prepared, or better prepared, and let events unfold. And if a reasonable government uh, shapes up in Ukraine, he will accept it, negotiate with it, uh, try to reach arrangements that or in both countries' interests. <clears throat> if uh, an unreasonable government uh, emerges or the system stays out of control, uh, I suspect that uh, the eastern and southern Ukraine will become part of Russia. There won't be anything the United States could do about it, or the EU, or Ukraine. <clears throat> it would just be a natural consequence of the uh, uh, chaos that Washington has created in Western Ukraine. So I don't think uh, for, for Putin, I mean, he sees it as a proxy war. He, he sees it as a, another problem that the idiot Americans have created for the world that has to be managed diplomatically. And that's what Putin will do, just like he managed Syria diplomatically, uh, Iran diplomatically, while the Americans go about issuing threats and <laughs> and I think that the, the more this happens, the more Western Europe has to look to see who the real leader is. <laughs> and the more they have to say, why do we keep letting the Americans take us to the rink? Now, now you have, have said that, uh, that you don't think that Putin will have to act um, really in the situation the way it is right now because things are sort of turning out in direction that will work in Russian interests. But let's put the opposite analysis on the table and see how you respond to that because, of course, we have had the ouster of uh, Russian-friendly Yanukovych um, in recent days, and now he's apparently a wanted man, as uh, the acting interior minister has uh, stated. And uh, we have even Russia's leverage on the situation in terms of shutting off the gas to Europe, which they've done before in situations like this. It, it, even that leverage is uh, weakening as uh, as spring starts to thaw out uh, Europe, so they don't have a lot of leverage there, and Gazprom needs the money anyway, so I'm not sure they can really afford to turn it off. There isn't a lot of uh, leverage for them to do anything other than militarily, um, and uh, it looks like perhaps the the, the protesters, uh, the, the Western-funded protesters have already won. They've already taken over the government. So, so how is this working out for Putin? Well, uh, the Western uh, organized protesters haven't taken over the government. Uh, the right-wing elements 
uh, have taken over. And how does the government, we already asked this question, how does the government put down the only organized armed force in Kiev? <laughs> this was the predicament that, that um, <clears throat> Kerensky faced with Lenin. <laughs> so I don't, uh, I don't think that, uh, in fact, if the uh, peaceful protesters have won and, and the moderates uh, achieve control, uh, it's, I don't think Putin will see that as a particular problem. He'll negotiate with them, <clears throat> give them support. Uh, they'll need all the support they can get. How much they're going to get from EU and the U.S. is unclear. <clears throat> and they'll have to they'll reach some accommodation. Um, I don't think uh, the United States or the uh, moderates in Western Ukraine can do anything about it if the former Russian territories want to go back to Russia. They can't block that. Putin doesn't need to do anything about that except to accept them. And I don't think the moderates uh, have an army that they could send in to reconquer those territories from the Russian army. <laughs> so I don't think it's, a, um, it's not the issue uh, for Putin. It's a much more difficult issue for the EU and for the U.S., the EU is busted too. You know, they've got all these busted members: <laughs> Greece, <laughs> Italy, uh, Spain, Portugal, um, all of the all of the Eastern European countries. Well, most of them. You know, things are terrible in Hungary, <laughs> the Czech Republic. Uh, th there's no prosperity or anything. Uh, rock groups. I'm going to post a song later this week from a Hungarian rock group about. My word, it's worse than communism. <laughs> so uh, uh, who's going to finance the uh, Western Ukraine? Not, I mean, Europe, they haven't got any money. Uh, the Americans, we're already having to print enough money that uh, nobody knows the consequences. So I, th I think that uh, it's not the problem uh, for Putin, <clears throat> if the Western Ukraine goes right wing in some kind of a uh, government forms, and then the rest of the Ukraine will just join Russia, and, and Russia then will act to neutralize the Western right wing government. It will remain to be seen uh, how supportive of these neo-Nazis, or whatever you, they are, I don't know what they are. The extreme nationalist. Now, what does the EU want with extreme nationalists? <laughs> because the EU is basically working to subvert the uh, independent political entities that comprise the EU. They've already done that to Greece. You know, they've taken over its finances. They've looted the country. Uh, why, why would the EU want a bunch of rabid ultranationalists as a member? Well, it wouldn't. I mean, it's all there. It's completely contrary. And how comfortable uh, is Washington going to be pretending that some sort of ultranational government is the moderate outcome of its interference in Ukraine? I don't know that even if even uh, Obama could pull that off. 
you know. So these things are a problem for the West. And if the moderates prevail, then I think Putin will just negotiate some sort of reasonable solution. Um, I don't think uh, the Russians are anxious to go to war. They've got better judgment. <laughs> but they, they will keep making the... Uh, case, the example, look, how many times do the Americans <clears throat> have to be totally wrong <laughs> before the rest of Europe quits enabling this? You know, we've got um, Iraq, we've got Libya, we've got Syria, which is now in chaos, thanks to the Americans. <clears throat> how much of this uh, do you want to put up with, Chancellor Merkel? <laughs> in whose interest is this? It's really only in the interest of the jihadist, as Putin keeps saying over and over and over. So, <clears throat> so what kind of, an, of a policy is it that Washington has that only benefits the jihadists that they claim they're at war against? <laughs> well, it's an effective so, divide and conquer at any rate. Uh, it's, uh, it's very effective, and I really don't think uh, Washington, I think they're insane with their hubris, their arrogance. Their belief that this is the indispensable, exceptional country. I mean, this is madness. And so they've got no diplomatic skills. They can only lie. They lie. They can marshal the prostitute media in the U.S. and Europe. <clears throat> but I think this is less and less effective. I mean, pe people don't believe the Western media anymore. <laughs> I can't imagine why they would. And, uh, of course, you've raised the specter uh, already of this conversation between Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland and the U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Jeffrey Pyatt, that was, uh, that was caught on tape and then distributed to the world, where uh, Newland infamously remarks that she wants to, um, to perform the horizontal mambo with the EU, and not in a good way. Um, but that, uh, that conversation, of course, brings with it all sorts of interesting questions about where that recording really came from, and of course, whether the Russian equivalent of the NSA was doing its uh, magic to, to make that conversation public uh, uh, information. Um, what, what does that little part of this whole fiasco tell us about the situation? Well, it, first of all, it reveals that the United States was actually actively involved in pulling off a coup in the Ukraine because uh, Newland, the assistant secretary of state, was discussing with the American ambassador in Ukraine uh, their choice of who they were going to put in power once the protests had driven out the elected president. So clearly, it, it was a coup. They had their list of candidates. They were discussing who they were going to stick in. So in other words, as far as the United States is concerned, um, the moderates had no say about it in the first place. <laughs> it, it was an American show. Uh, the moderates were stooges and dupes. And so that's what it reveals. It reveals that this whole thing uh, wasn't... Uh, sincere to start with. It was orchestrated by Washington to put in its people to run the Ukraine. So the whole world has got to have seen this. This is, this is, what's, uh, this is what's occurred. So this is very detrimental to the United States. Now, who released it? Uh, did the Russians uh, grab it or did it come out of the United States? You know, not, not everybody in the CIA the FBI, the NSA, uh, are uh, Washington thugs. 
look at look at the people who've given us the information. Uh, the first was this William Benny, the guy who devised the spy program for NSA. He was the first one to come out and say, well, look, <laughs> I did this for them. But and he was a high level official in NSA and they're using it to spy on everybody. You know, he said this long before Snowden. The difference was that Benny didn't steal any secrets and couldn't prove it. So they could say, well, you know, he's just disgruntled. Well, Snowden saw that. So when he left, he took the papers that prove it. That's the only difference between Snowden and Benny. So Benny told us years before Snowden what was going on. So there are people. I mean, this thing could have been released by anybody. Or it could have been somebody in the American embassy in Kiev who had more sense than the ambassador <laughs> who wanted to stop this. Uh, th there are still, though fewer and fewer, honest, dedicated people in the CIA, in the NSA. In fact, we know that because the government is searching for them. We know that the government is searching to find out anybody in the NSA who might tell the American people the truth. <laughs> so that they can preemptively get rid of them before they act. So, you know, Washington has to be fearful that there are actually genuine American patriots still in some of the security agencies. And until Washington can locate uh, all the real patriots and get rid of them so there's nothing there but thugs, uh, it, the information can come from anywhere. They're whistleblowers. They're people who stand up, they take the risk, and they tell what's going on. So this could have been as easily leaked by an American patriot <laughs> as captured by, uh, by the Russian intelligence or any other intelligent force. Well, Dr. Roberts, we are at the disadvantage of speaking in the midst of events that are ongoing. So even by the time this conversation is released, events might have already moved on past this analysis. So I know that you are keeping track of this issue at paulcraigroberts.org. And so I hope people are going there on a regular basis for more updates. But is, is there anything else that you'd like to uh, bring to the table today before we go? Well, yes. The, you know, we are talking about, as you said, an unfolding situation. And what I'm discussing is the risk. And what we see is the carelessness and recklessness of Washington in pushing these risks. There's no reason for this. What does it matter if Ukraine is in the EU or not? I mean, how insane is it to expect to have American missile bases in Ukraine? So this is what we, you know, regardless of the outcome, even if we get the best possible outcome, we still have the situation where Washington has created extremely reckless events that are full of risk for the entire world, the entire world. So how can you have such a dangerous, reckless, careless government running around as a superpower? I mean, the United States is a threat to life on earth. That's what we are facing here. Now, these risks may never develop. Putin may calm them down, keep everything in on, on a diplomatic level. That's entirely possible. He, he's inclined that way. He has his skills. They will resort to force only as a last resort when they are strategically threatened. 
But the United States is the one who brings these extreme reckless risk to the world. And when is the world going to recognize that and disassociate and stop enabling this extreme recklessness that emanates from Washington? It is a danger to all life on Earth, and it's enabled by the EU. NATO. What do you need NATO for? NATO was there to stop the Red Army from overrunning Europe. The Red Army disappeared 23 years ago. <laughs> well, why is NATO being expanded all over the world? They're even talking to Japan about it. So this kind of recklessness is what is the danger. It's a far greater danger than the right-wing elements in Western Ukraine. And, and that's what the world has got to realize and come to grips with. And the Americans themselves have got to realize that this is a, an act of insanity to take a direct strategic threat to a major military power. This is insane. And why is the Obama administration insane? We know it's not because they love democracy and all that, because What's happened in the Ukraine is antithesis of democracy. No democratic procedures were followed. If this Yankelovich is such a terrible guy, they can vote him out in the next election. <laughs> the whole thing is pointless. And all it does is destroy the democratic beginnings in the Ukraine because the parliament now has said, well, we don't care about democracy. We only care about what we want right now. So, they, as I said, they've opened it up for the right to tell them the same thing. It's like Lenin's question to Kerensky, who chose you? Well, Dr. Roberts here, I agree completely with that analysis, but it is uh, pretty important to, to again indicate that your bi biography, your former assistant secretary treasury of the United States, I mean, do you, uh, do you still have contacts within the government? Do, do people respond to this type of rhetoric? I mean, obviously, this is something somewhat significant of a former administration official coming out and saying these types of things against the current administration. Look, anyone can see it. And what, how many people speak in public? How many people can? If you are in Washington, it's career ending. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that nobody agrees with me. Uh, any educated, experienced person can see the danger that I just described. It's, I'm not being, uh, you know, off the wall. Anybody can see it. Um, but can they talk about it? Well, suppose I'm a reporter uh, in one of the mega media firms, and I bring a story like this. What's the editor going to do? He's going to say, you want to get us both fired? <laughs> uh, you know, how, how, how can a congressman go against the military security complex? Uh, if, he, if he goes against the security complex, they spy all over him. They reveal everything about him. Uh, <clears throat> if he goes against the military complex, he doesn't get any campaign contributions. He's out of office. The same for the Senate. So people can know things that they can't say. Well, I don't want anything from them. So I can speak, and that's what the others do. They rely on me to say what they can't say. 
It's that simple. And I won't be able to say it much longer because I'm getting old. And I think as well, the government is going to start stamping out dissent. In other words, dissenters become domestic extremists. They get put on no-fly lists. They, the, the vice just keeps tightening down. So, but if you see a situation and you think that maybe making more people aware of it can forestall a major war, you have a responsibility to say something about it. And that's the way I see it. But who would deny, certainly no strategic thinker, that it's insane to take a direct strategic threat <laughs> to a major military power? You, you can't go around threatening people like this without consequences because they're not. Why does Washington think Putin or Russia is just going to fold up and accept Washington's will? Why do you think China's going to do that? Iran has shown them for years. I mean, little Iran, I mean, it's powerless compared to Russia or China. And Iran has consistently shown, no, we are not going to fold up because of you and your threats and what you're doing to us. We're not. So if Iran won't fold up for Washington, I doubt Moscow or Beijing is going to. And so what they're doing is if they're making these powerful countries aware that they're faced with somebody who determined, who was determined to subjugate them to its will. That's the whole problem with the neoconservative ideology. When the world catches on, what you're telling everybody is, we're going to subjugate you to our will. You know, when you have neocons telling Pakistan, you do what we said, or we're going to bomb you back to the Stone Age. I mean, who talks like this? I mean, this, this, so there's nothing extreme in what I'm saying. The extreme is in the behavior of Washington. It's out of control. It's multiplying <clears throat> risk and violence in the world. Disorder. You know, all the polls, every time <clears throat> there's a poll of other countries, who emerges universally seen as the greatest threat to world peace. It's the United States. All you got to do is go online, Google it, pull up the polls. The United States is seen by the world as the greatest threat to peace. Well, now, is this a good policy? <laughs> and so what I'm talking about is real. It's not just me that perceives it. No polls show uh, that the world has the view of Washington that Washington has of itself. <laughs> and, and so this is why it's a serious situation. Well, you're, it's just, you're, you're definitely not going to get any argument on that from myself or my listeners. And, um, and I think you're exactly right. The emperor is not wearing clothes, but uh, so few people are in a position to be able to even say that. And that speaks volumes against. That's probably one of the, the greatest indictments we can give to the current system and the way it's functioning. So sorry. my hat's off to you for being one of those people who is pointing out the blatantly obvious truth and, uh, and doing so vociferously and without mincing words, which is a uh, something that... Unfortunately, not very many other people are doing at the moment, or at least not enough people in positions of power to do anything about this. 
Um, an sure. exceptionally important topic, which we could continue to talk about, but I don't want to monopolize your time today. So perhaps we can. Well, let me say, Jim, if you if your program has time, let's say one more thing. Sure. Uh, uh, yesterday, <clears throat> on Sunday, I had a call from a former respected member of the U.S. Congress. I won't identify them. <clears throat> and he said, more or less, what I just told you. He said, among my former colleagues, there are some smart people that know exactly what's going on and they cannot open their mouths. So <clears throat> this is freedom and democracy in America, where elected representatives who see the threat, the mistakes, the mendacity of the whole thing, can't open their mouths. And that's what he said. So. Well, um, well, again, I think we'll have to, uh, to continue talking about this subject. And uh, again, this is not only uh, threatening to, to stability in the Ukraine, but of course, everywhere around the world where this type of imperialistic ambition is being thrown around. So we will have to continue coming back to this. As I say, you are covering it at your website, paulcraigroberts.org. Of course, the link will be in the show notes for this interview. So uh, Dr. Roberts, I, I thank you for your time today. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again as events continue to unfold. Good. I always enjoy speaking to you, James.